Hey everyone, welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. And if if this is your first episode, thank you very much for checking out the show. If you like it or you have thoughts about the show that you want to share, we would love to hear from you. So you can always drop us a note on our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com or by sending an email to feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at Creative Consumption Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook or underscore Create Consume on Twitter. Uh, we, we like to put up some posts during the week about our guests, maybe products they have going on. Like, for instance, uh, Jacob Tischler, who was last week's guest, he is in a live radio broadcast that was part of the New London Bar and Playhouse's summer season. Uh, that was actually this past weekend, and there was a rebroadcast last night. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that's something that will also be made available through the New London Barn. Um, and also, Aline Mayagoitia, who is one of our very first guests, she is going to be launching a really special project tomorrow, September 1st, on her YouTube page called School to Stage. So definitely check that out. It sounds like it's going to be a really exciting project about making theater uh, education more accessible, um, which I know is something Aline is really passionate about. So those are some past guests. Today's guest is Mason Reeves. Mason, for somebody who is very young, he is already extremely accomplished. He has worked in theaters across the U.S., playing historic houses like the St. Louis Muni, the Connecticut Repertory Theater, and the Bucks County Playhouse, where he actually spent part of this summer as an artist in residence. Um, Mason, in addition to being a fantastic performer, is also a killer dancer. He's a great musician, um, and he's a lover of anime, which he talks about in this episode. Most recently, Mason landed the role of Kristoff, in the national tour of Frozen the Musical, which hopefully will be resuming performances uh, in the beginning of 2021. So fingers crossed that that is able to happen. I love talking with Mason. He speaks really cogently about how he manages his his mental state, how he kind of has this broad-minded way of seeing the world that really, it, it was honestly very calm and very meditative to listen to um, about how he's able to kind of know when he wants to create, when he doesn't want to, and feeling okay with that, which uh, was, I don't know, very soothing for me at least to hear, and I hope you guys like the interview. So with that, here's Mason Reeves. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. What a nice intro. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? We got to lavish it all on you, man. You got to hear it all, right? It's one thing to read the resume, but you got to have someone say it to you to really, you know, have it take hold, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Um, So the very first thing I always like to ask people is with everyone, right? Kind of like, I know you're, you are an actor and I think that encompasses a lot of you, but you also have so many other aspects, right? Just like a lot of creative people have so many hats they wear. So my first thing I love to ask is if we're meeting for the first time, how do you introduce yourself and what do you say that you do? Oh, wow. That's a great question. You know, if, if we're meeting for the first time, I probably, I introduce myself as an actor. I think that's where I start. I just say I'm, I'm an actor and I think, um, I think that's that's true for me because like like you said, you know, for a lot of other people, for a lot of people, a lot of creative people wear a lot of hats and I you know, I like to direct, I like to write, I like to choreograph, I like to do all those sorts of things. But first and foremost the thing that I feel like I know the most um and the thing that I feel like I am the most comfortable with is um is just being an actor. I feel like that is my identity. It was the first thing that I started 
training in. I started training and uh, acting like my freshman year of actually, sorry, no, I started voice before that, but it was the first thing that like opened my eyes to the beauty of creation and how, how much theater and creation can lead you to understanding other people, you know, and understanding yourself better. Like my teacher, you know, he was the first person to ask me, you know, what's your relationship with your parents like? And I was like, uh, I, I'm allowed to talk about that, you know, like, and, you know, it was the first space where I really reflected on my relationship with my father and my mom and, you know, how the ways that their work affected whether I felt taken care of and, you know, why I felt so independent because they were always working and they kind of let me do my own thing. And, you know, it was really interesting to do that. And I just thought this is the most amazing thing on the entire planet. And so I define myself as an actor because I think when I first meet people, I I like to to say like, hey, I, I feel like, you know, some some I don't know what what people's perspective is on actors, but my perspective on actors is that they are incredibly empathetic people and incredibly thoughtful people, at least. And, you know, of course, there are some bad nuts everywhere. But I I like to introduce myself as an actor because I like people to know, hey, you know, this is somebody that will listen, you know, and is observing and wants to learn. I think an actor, one of the greatest qualities an actor can have is always trying to learn. And, and I mean, probably any creative person observing and learning and growing every second. And so, um, you know, every person that I meet, I, I, I am so genuinely interested and intrigued. You sort of like you are with this podcast, you know, to know who they are. And so that's how I first, that's how I introduced myself as an actor. Cause I think it, um, it gives a lot of clues as to who I am and is what I feel the most comfortable with. That empathy you talk about that actors have, right, and that you clearly embody in your work, was that something you saw modeled for yourself early on? Uh, or is it something that was always inherently part of you, do you think? That's, yeah. You know, I think it was something that was somewhat a part of me. Like, you know, in elementary school, I remember, and I'm, you know, not, not to the mountain horn or whatever, but, to, you know, in elementary school, I remember I used to always stick up for the kids that didn't get picked in kickball and things like that. And I just always thought that that was frustrating and wrong and unfair. I feel like my parents put a really good moral compass on top of me. And I just sort of thought like, why, why, why would you treat anybody like that? And so I think that's always been my sort of thing. And then in middle school, I actually ended up being the kid that was treated a lot like that. Cause you know, long story short, I'm black. I'm from Arizona. It's a very white area. Right. And so around middle school, all the kids started saying, Oh, Mason, you're not black. You know, you're, you act like a white guy. You're white on the inside, black on the outside. You're an Oreo. And you, what are you like? You should like rap music and you should run faster and you should this or that. And you know, there's nothing I was, I had no, I didn't, I barely even knew that I was black, really. Like I knew I had black skin, but I didn't know what that meant. You know, my dad's black, but my mom's white. And that experience, none of my black family lived near me. I was not connected to the quote unquote black experience, even though there is not one. Um, but what all these kids expected of me, you know, ended up with, if I missed a shot at a basketball, you know, and PE, I got shoved in a locker one time in sixth grade. And, you know, I changed schools to seventh and eighth grade. And, um, and then I, that's really, I guess, talk about acting when my acting career started, I'll say, because I started pretending like I was a, a black kid. You know, I started speaking with an accent that I didn't have. I started making black jokes all the time. And I started 
you know, doing anything to try to fit in. And the sad part is that it really worked. And I made a lot of friends in middle school because I was like the black kid at school. And uh, Mason's so funny. And he, he talks back to the teachers and, you know, this or that or the third. And finally, when I when I committed to theater or when I started doing shows at other theaters, I my mom ran a community theater from a very young age of mine. Um, and I did shows there, but I always thought, oh, I only get cast because they need boys. And I'm, I'm the the, ma- the direct the managing director's son. So, like, you know, who knows, whatever. I'm not talented. And then my freshman year, another theater needed a kid for a part that I fit. And we drove across town. I auditioned and I ended up getting cast. And it was like, whoa, OK. And then I got cast in another show there. And I was like, wait, can I do this? And all of a sudden I met all these brilliant people Um you know, another thing about Arizona is there weren't a lot of gay people around where I was. So I didn't know that. And I was in a production of Shrek. Um, this is my freshman year, end of my freshman year of high school. And I was at one of the three little pigs. And um, I was also one of the three little pigs. Just going to put that out there. Really? Which were you? Oh, no, now I'm terrible because I can't remember the name of my pig. Oh, uh, I will look it up. I will let you know. I've done number one and number three. I've been in Shrek twice. But that's, you know, (laughs) we're going to add that to your list of credits at the beginning, both pig one and pig three. (laughs) Also, in parentheses, he's playing Kristoff right now. But most important, I'm working on the triple crown of getting pig number two as well. (laughs) You better. Yeah, seriously, you got to got to cap this off, man. Exactly. Um, But yeah, so I was in Shrek and the two other pigs with me were these two gay guys and I'd never like you know, spent time with any, any gay people, you know, in the way of my life had been. And they just embraced themselves so fully. And, you know, they, they just loved who they were. And I hated who I was and I didn't want to be who I was. And they were the first people that, you know, when I started acting like I was black or doing stuff like that, they were the first people that were like, why are you doing that? Like, why aren't you just, you know, being yourself? And, um, And so that's sort of how I think empathy has continued to unfold into my life and why I think it's so important, because those people could see my pain. They they, and, you know, and they empathized with it and said, you know, you don't have to pretend to be somebody that you aren't. And that's why I think it's so important. I think, you know, even if it's empathizing for you know, relationship issues or whatever, or, you know, issues with your parents, I, I think you should acknowledge the people around you and what they're going through. Cause I'm sure a lot of people could have been like, well, just stop pretending like you're black and whatever, like it's stupid. But instead they, you know, take the time to be like, you should just be yourself and empathized. And so I think that's one of the most important things in life. And I'm so grateful that I've gotten to meet so many people, so many sweet, empathetic people, and that I get to continue meeting so many people through theater. The joy of theater is how often we get to form new families, you know, and there's nothing like that. So that's my long-winded answer to say, yes, it started in childhood and evolved from there. <laughs> and that idea of, it sounds like identity and exploring identity was something and is something that you've kind of carried through your your career and through your life, right? And I think that that's something, it's something that we all grapple with in some way. But I'm curious, especially since acting is both how you introduce yourself and also your career right now, it seems like, um, in addition to all the other things you do, is that one of the appeals of an acting career, that it lets you explore identity in new ways? And also as part of that, do you continue to find more to your identity because of the work you do in acting? Yeah. I mean, in the shows that I've 
been in, um, you know, at least my professional career shows, I what I've learned has been more about the whole process of it all than from the content itself as of right now. You know, just the stuff, you know, Footloose, I learned, which is the show that I was in at the Muni. Um, and I just learned so much about dedication and commitment and perseverance, like more so than I learned, you know, Footloose is, you know, it's a timeless story. I've been fortunate to have these, these really fun shows that I've been in, but I haven't gotten to do anything that I've really been able to like, you know, like stuff that's really explored identity. And, and, and that's sort of one of my next goals is I really want to be in some works that, that feature, you know, I've been, my two big roles have been playing parts that were originally played by white guys, which, you know, is, is fine, you know, and it's, and it's, I'm so grateful for it. Um, and so thankful and it's, and it's been really cool to explore that and I can get into that later, but, um, but I want to do more of that sort of work. But what I've learned from shows in the sense of, you know, talking about growing identity and that sort of thing, I think, you know, there's, there's nothing that is going to push you like going to, going to a new place with entirely new people and working on a new show and having to show up and do it and be on top of everything. And so I think for the Muni and Footloose, you know, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done because it was 18 days straight that you don't get a day off. And I played Ren, who like doesn't leave the stage for two and a half hours and dances and sings at the top of my range and is acting. And like, and the Muni stage is like the size of a football field. So it's like sprinting across the stage, you know, then I was just, I was truly, I lost eight pounds in the course of 18 days. Mason, you don't have eight pounds to lose. Where did they come from? (laughs) I was like, I, my mom was like, Mason, are you okay? She saw photos of me. She's like, Mason, my jaw was not good. Um, but you know, you just, you learn so much about, I, I wanted to run away. I have, I suffer from depression and anxiety. And so in those high stress situations, um, my body's immediate response is like, run, you need to run away. You need to leave. You shouldn't be here. You don't belong here. You don't deserve this. What are you doing here? And I learned so much about what it means to be absolutely terrified and to continue in the face of that and what, what bravery really means and what confidence and what talent really means. And it, to me, I learned that, you know, I, I always thought, being brave means like, oh, whatever, your fears are not, you know, you, you're not afraid of anything. You're courageous. You have all this strength. You can walk into anything and do anything. And I realized in that show that bravery is really being deathly afraid of things and then having the courage to continue walking forward in the face of them. And so I think that's something that, you know, I had no idea that I even had within my identity the capability to to be terribly afraid. Like, I think that's the most terrified I'd been in my entire life. And I'd never had that much pressure on me. And so you, you learn, you know, how, how beautiful the, the human experience is and how beautiful it is to, to be pushed to that level and what it's like when, when you succeed in the face of it, or at least make it through, which is succeeding (laughs) and you not, not die. And, and the idea of, theater is that I get to go and I play a new part. I get to go meet a new cast. I get to go explore something new. And that just being around different people, 
all striving to create great art, I think, is one of the greatest ways to expand your concept of who you are and your concept of what the world is. Um, we get to, you know, play and be kids and meet new people and always be doing something new. And hopefully, as the work continues, I can get into some more, more and more things where the art is really teaching me something about myself as I work through it. Now, you mentioned, I had no idea, your mom ran a community theater when you were growing up? Yes, she did. Yeah, she took over it when I was in third grade. It's called Desert Foothills Theater in Cave Creek, Arizona. And um, yeah, it was actually about to close. And then she took over it. And her first show was Gypsy there. And I was in it. And I was a newspaper boy. Yes, you were. Yes. And she forced me to do it. I was a big soccer player. And then um, from then on, she started a youth theater there which was very successful. And so I would always get dragged into doing the shows because they needed boys. And I'd be like, I'll do it if I can only rehearse once a week and I can go to soccer practice all the other nights. <laughs> but slowly but surely, obviously, that that changed. But yeah, she ran it and she's a wonderful woman and an absolute inspiration to me. And she's now the managing director um, over at the Scottsdale Center for the Performing Arts, which is another performing arts center. That's great. She's, she is an absolutely amazing woman, I think. And... I, yeah, I just adore her. So, but of course she's my mom. So <laughs> it's so good to say it, right? Yes. So you're getting to do shows like Gypsy, but you're also doing things like soccer. So obviously you had kind of a, a, a cool, expansive bunch of activities. And early on, I'd love to know what are the kind of things you're watching or you're seeing? Maybe if it is theater, maybe it's TV shows, maybe it's books that you're reading, right? What are the kind of act, things that you're taking in that are also influencing the kind of stuff that you want to do or want to become? As a kid, I guess I, you know, the weird thing is I have no recollection of listening to any music until seventh grade, until sixth slash seventh grade when those kids started bullying me into listening to rap music. And then I started listening to rap music. So, and one of my favorite rappers was Lupe Fiasco. Um, and what I liked about him was he rapped about things that were real. You know, I was like, oh, I was like, he's talking about, you know, politics and he's talking about, oh, the, the struggles of his life. And he's talking about all these, you know, whoa, he's talking about the real world and not just like money or whatever, you know, which is a stereotype of rappers. It's not the way that all of them are. And especially nowadays, it's nothing like that anymore. But um, but I adored him and he gave me, you know, he gave me a way to feel comfortable in Oh, me having to like rap music, I could say, oh, I like Lupe Fiasco and I'd rap all of his raps for everybody. And he influenced me in the sense that he was the first person that made me feel like, you know, OK, I can. You know, he also wasn't overly like black, as everybody said that I should be. You know, he just he said what was on his mind and he wasn't always talking about whatever everybody thought I should be talking about basketball or stupid things. And so he's one of the first people that I was like, oh, I can really relate to this. And he's black. And so I can see myself in a black man that isn't what everybody says I have to be. Um, so it was definitely that, I think. Um, and then what I was intaking is I played a lot of video games. I didn't really watch a lot of movies or, you know, I watched Disney Channel, I guess, a little bit. Um, yeah, I was mostly playing video games like all the time because I loved, I don't know if you ever played Kingdom Hearts or have heard of Kingdom Hearts. I haven't, no. It's this really like super overdramatic game by the same people that make Final Fantasy, which is uh, another like really 
crazy game. But basically, it's this kid named Sora who goes through all these Disney worlds, like all the Disney, they recreate the Disney worlds. And he has the kid named Sora has this thing called a Keyblade and he goes through these worlds and he fights Heartless, which are these enemies that have invaded these Disney worlds. And basically what I loved about the game is you get dropped into these Disney stories. So it's like Aladdin. And Aladdin's trying to find the gene that trying to find the lamp to summon genie and become Prince Ali. And you get dropped into the story and help Aladdin find the, the lamp. And you, you know, you fight all these heartless and things like that. And so, oh my gosh, I've, I haven't ever talked about this, but because of that game and the idea that I get dropped into these stories and, and, you know, I influence these stories, it, it fostered my imagination to just like explode because I started, I take my wiffle ball bat in the backyard and I would imagine that I was, you know, dropped into different stories and whatever girl I had a crush on in elementary school was, you know, the person I was, I was trying to fight to save just like Sora, which, you know, that's gender norms, which we don't subscribe to anymore. But anyway, I, I was able to imagine myself as the hero of the story. I think like a lot of people are. And so I would say that's sort of what began my interest in theater and in those sorts of things. Because when I was auditioning for parts, I was like, I want to be this. I want to be in a story, be a part of an extraordinary story that is not just my life. And, you know, and realizing that I contained all of these other possible stories and all of these other imaginations and all these other different, you know, ideas of, of people and what I could be. And so I think video games do a great job of putting you at the center of the story of something that you never could have possibly imagined. And if they're really beautiful, they can just immerse you so deeply in it that you realize, oh my gosh, I really care about these people and I can imagine myself as a part of anything. Um, I never really thought about that connection, but I think that's that's definitely one of the things that shaped me, I'd say, as a kid. And I guess nowadays I do a lot of, um, I've been reading a lot of the black authors. So Ralph, Ralph Ellison and um, James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou. I've been kind of um, educating myself on those writers because I didn't get a lot of that in high school. I mean, they don't teach those brilliant authors in pu the public high school that I went to at least. And, you know, we were reading great expectations or the old man in the sea or great Gatsby, which are all good books, of course, but you know, we just missed out on all of this amazing stuff that I've been learning recently, you know, just sitting in my bed and crying, reading Toni Morrison and crying, reading James Baldwin and, you know, seeing, oh my gosh, these brilliant black writers have been writing about this unspeakable experience, this, this thing that you know, it was so hard to put words to of systemic racism, of, you know, of heritage, of the way that life has been shaped for all of us due to history. And in the context of that, they've been writing about it. And I hadn't gotten to read any of it until now. And it's just, I just finished If Beale Street Could Talk by James Baldwin, which um, is about systemic racism it's it's a love story of these two people that are beautifully in love these two people of color and it's like this gorgeous gorgeous thing and their love is ripped apart because he gets falsely accused of raping a woman and the system um is run by you know corrupt racist police officers and this racist police officer has a you know has it out for him because he kind of stood up he got stood up for by 
this woman who runs a store, long story short, this racist police officer doesn't like the black character. And so he brings him in for no reason and convinces the woman that he was the one that raped her. And so it's like this incredibly personal story of how these two people have been ripped apart. And it was all just because of racism and the way that systemic things sort of have pervaded the the country. And, and James Baldwin was writing about this far before any of these discussions that we've had recently. And he's been writing about them in such a personal way. And so those things have, have continued to inspire me now to keep creating from my specific perspective. You know, James Baldwin wrote from his vantage point, you know, Toni Morrison writes from her vantage point, the writes from their, the way that they see the world. And, you know, it's, it's inspired me to, I, I don't really, I've, I've written a couple of plays that I've done some readings of and stuff like that, but I found right now that creativity is a more personal thing. Like I write a lot of poetry and a lot of stuff like that. And so I find that those books and the beauty of the figurative language and the beauty of how they write about the monotony, you know, of regular life, how beautiful they write about just a windowsill or a cup of coffee or, you know, any of those sorts of things have and how they relate those to their experiences and relate them to a broader narrative of history and a broader narrative of what it means to be a person of color. It's inspired me to do the same for myself. And, you know, whether I ever share these poems or I don't, it makes me feel, okay, you know, you fit into this world because you are a part of it. That's just, you're in it and you are yourself and you should feel comfortable to write as that and to trust that your perspective is valid um, and is beautiful and that it can be that you can see, you know, the smallest thing in your life, this, this blanket here, this green blanket can mean so much more to me than just a green blanket. It can, it can symbolize so much. And so that's sort of the um, content that I've been loving to absorb these days and how it's been motivating me to keep moving forward. Do you envision yourself also bringing some of those ideas into your acting work? I know you mentioned that you might bring it in, that you have been doing some writing um, and creative in that way. How do you see it also fitting into the work you do as an actor? Yeah, so that's that's actually something that I was finding um, with Footloose and Frozen is that when I'm doing all my prep work, I started discovering oh my gosh, if I, I can write poems from the position, from the perspective of the characters, or I can write, you know, little narratives, I can journal as if I'm them, or I can write little monologues or things. Because those things feel, you know, if I just put myself in the headspace and just go and just write and write and write, those things fill out the world of what the characters for me and make it feel so genuine to who I am, because that's how I process my life. You know, I process my life through poetry and through journaling. And so, you know, maybe that's not how the character does or who whoever says the character does this or that, but my version of the character will do that because I think it at least helps me find a way in. Um, so that's absolutely, that's a great, that's absolutely something that I, um, love using. And and I love writing memoir as well. That's sort of one of the things, you know, like I was talking about, this blanket could mean so much more. And I took a class while I was at Michigan called Creative Nonfiction. That's all about memoir. And the to me, you know, it's so beautiful how 
you could be, you know, you could write, you could write nonfiction. You could write the exact history of what happened. You know, I woke up on this day or I was born on this day, but how wonderful is it to say I woke up and the sky was crashing and the grass looked almost blue and I was going to my first baseball game, you know? And it's like, how beautiful is it that we can add all of these other things that evoke you know, and almost are more truthful than just the truth because they tell you the essence of what, what happened, you know, not actually more truthful than the truth, of course, but they, they give you more of a, of a full understanding of what sort of happened. And so that's kind of, I'd like to do that exact same thing for my performing is use it to give me a fuller understanding of who this character is and what, what it feels like to be going through what they're going through. Hey everyone, just taking a quick break from the episode to remind everyone if you have a chance to check out the links in the show notes. That's where we're going to put the anti-racism and arts equity links that we've been including there. And also where you're going to find Mason's recommendations, um, which include both his content recommendations, but also I want to highlight the recommendation Mason makes at the end of the episode, which you'll hear, which is for going to visit NAACP.org. Um, And I'm going to make a specific call out as well, since this is something Mason features on his Instagram, which is visiting the We Are Done Dying campaign that NAACP has going on. It's very clearly laid out. It has a great starting point for a lot of different topics. And you can sign your name to initiatives like the Contract for Black America and Justice for George Floyd to show your support and receive more information from the organization. So please do check that out if you have a second. Uh, Thank you, guys. And back to the show. You clearly you love to write, you love to create in so many different ways, right? Whether that's acting or poetry or creative creative nonfiction, right? How do you decide which one to focus on? Do you try to just like keep them all in your head at the same time? Or is it something, how do you know when to go from one creative activity to another one? And how do you divide your time like that? Yeah, that's another great question. You know, for me, I've kind of still been formulating this one, but I've honestly just been leaving it at when I am ready to do it, I do it. And that's just been the way, you know, I think I'm very fortunate that acting is my main career and that I'm not a writer because I could not imagine having to force myself to write, you know, and having to do that sort of thing. And so I, for me personally, I I sort of balance it by saying, okay, you know, I am going to go for a walk today. And when I'm out on my walk, if I see something and I feel like writing about it, then I'm busting my journal out and I'm writing about it, you know? And I find that most of my, um, my desire to write and my desire to do, you know, to write a poem or to do creative nonfiction or to do a play are all spurred by outside stimuli by the world. Um, I've been kind of getting really into Buddhism recently and we're just covering a whole lot of topics tonight, but, um, but yeah. And so Buddhism, there's this idea of your, your Shenpo, which is like your, um, which is the world around you. And when you meditate, you can, you're supposed to connect with it and realize that all of the world around you is a way for you to learn a lesson. You know, it's all there for you to reflect on and to, to be a part of, to be within. And it's always guiding you you know, to being a benevolent, wholesome sort of person and guiding you to grow. And so for me, 
um, without some sort of predestined plan, but just sort of like giving you lessons, you know, a tree is teaching you something or which sounds sort of hippy dippy, but basically I just, I, I sort of, I synthesized that down to for myself. When I place myself in the world with my heart open and my doors open, something usually comes. And whether that's a poem that I want to write, a story that I want to write, a play that I want to write, or just a new person that I meet out at a restaurant or something that those sorts of things, um, are the ones that inspire me to write. And so that's sort of how I've been balancing it is, you know, acting is my job. So if I get a self tape, I have to do a self tape. You know, if I get, I have to do that. And, and I have to be in class. I have to be pushing myself to do that sort of thing. But writing and the other things, um, at least right now are outlets are creative outlets. And I, you know, and of course, if I'm acting all the time, right, if I'm, you know, when I was working on Frozen or Footloose and I was in tech and, or Mama, you know, what any show that I've been in and I'm in tech and I'm, and I'm swamped and I'm exhausted. And you're losing eight pounds every week. It's losing eight pounds. You're a skeleton by the end of the summer. Yes. Um, I discovered like writing is a great way for me to balance, you know, like you said, balance. If my acting's way up here, I have to put some more weight, you know, on this side and get them, get them even. And so I'd go out for, like I said, I go out for long walks or I go out for hikes and I just get myself out of the house and I just see whatever. And maybe I don't write that day or maybe I do, or maybe I sit down and read, you know, but that's how I balance it. I force myself into the great world that we have and see what sort of comes. And then in terms of consuming media, I usually use that as like as an entertainment and then as either entertainment or entertainment that also inspires me or shows me something. I, I've been finding I've been trying to learn a lot about I'm trying to get into more film acting. So I've been having to watch a lot of TV and films to say, OK, what is it about what they're doing right now that I need to get better at? Because, I, you know, we took acting for the camera at school one class and I was in short films, but it's like. Obviously, I need to keep learning and keep growing the next level of how do I get there? And so I watch for fun and for I prefer to watch really high quality stuff so I can say, like, how are these people doing what they are doing? Because it is amazing. Is there something you watch for because you said you watch for fun and for edification, for for learning for yourself? do you differentiate the kind of content you watch when it's for fun or when it's the more like serious stuff? Yes. I watch anime for fun. <laughs> I love, I love anime. That's another one of my greatest interests. Um, and I, I, that show just fills me with so much joy. It, it provides me with like, it's like, it just shoots me through my days. You know, it's like, I, I that, just any show that I watch, what I love about anime is the protagonists are always like striving so hard to become the best that they can be. They're always trying to become the best version of themselves and they don't always succeed. And when they fail, you get to see them fail and like try to come back. And I think what's great about anime is because they can build these such fantastical worlds that you might not be able to build without like an incredibly high budget with people in it is that the themes are so clear, you know, I think they do so you can, you can break down what makes an anime work so well. And that brings, I just love analyzing things like that. So that's, um, my for fun thing. And then education slash for fun, 
I just finished watching Watchmen on HBO Max. Dude, I'm I am literally thinking that after our conversation, I'm going to watch episode six. Like I I have been trying to over the past couple of weeks get to it. Tell me, tell me your tell me your thoughts. What I loved about it is a the acting performances are just it's like it is ridiculous, and I just I. Ooh. And so I learned a lot from that, just watching her and the guy that plays Cal. Um, that's the other thing that I love about it is that it explores. I mean, it's a incredibly topical nowadays, like, you know, and came out last year. And it's like, whoa, you know, the, even the masks, you know, feel oddly prescient. But um, I just I love the way they talk about racial injustice and how they see the historical implications of it and and why it exists in the way that it does now and of course it's a you know it's an alternate timeline or whatever but their focus on history i think is absolutely essential to unlocking the importance of all of the discussions that we've been having you know it's the way it's it's the through line for me of how to prevent people from being able to just brush it aside like it's nothing. It's like, no, 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 no. It, all those things happened back then, and here is how they're connecting now still. And we have to know what was happening back then and then see the things that changed right after that, that that got better and see how the things that got better weren't perfect still. And we need to keep improving them and not just say like, oh, we fixed it, you know. And the fact that so many people didn't even know about the Tulsa race massacre before that show. I didn't. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I wasn't aware. It just, yeah, it just shows the the gaps that we have in our historical learning. And, you know, we learned this at school with Wagner, but um, I we've gotten so far away from the question. I'm sorry. But um, but we learned this at school with Wagner about, you know, I don't know if he if he had started doing this when you were learning from him, but he started going really into the artists of color that that built up the field of Broadway and, you know, created tap dancing and did all these sorts of things that I had never heard about and whose stories hadn't been told because they just don't, you know, you don't, you don't hear stories about them. They just don't talk about them. They talk about, you know, whatever white men or whatever white people had or whatever other people had the, the good fortune of being able to be well known because they didn't have, 1500 different barriers preventing them from getting to where they wanted to be. And so, um, I just find that to be so stunningly done in that show and that it's just also fun and wacky and absurd at certain times. You know, it's just, it's got everything in it. It makes me laugh and then it makes me cry and then it makes me ridiculously angry at the world. And then it makes me want to be a part of something like that all in one show so in a way and maybe i'm tying together two threads that don't quite connect but i don't know something when you were talking about the way the show has so many elements of representation both in the actors who are cast right in the content Mm -hmm. that it's talking about in the history that it is not unearthing but certainly making much more front and center than for for most people they would have been aware of i know for myself right like i said i i I didn't I did not know nearly enough about those events that I should have known about and this show does such a great job of bringing them to the fore and saying not only did these things happen but they are still important and similar things repercussions are resounding to this day. Yeah. And something you said earlier and I, this might seem like a bit of a leap but I'm I kind of just want to hear your take on it. I mean you said you've played two of your major roles have been actors 
or have been roles that were originated by white actors. Yeah. And I know a part of playing roles, especially roles that are pre-existing, right, instead of when you're creating original work, is research, is seeing what came before, is finding like what how did somebody do this what what do i not want to watch because i don't want to get influenced right and if you don't mind my asking i'm I'm a little bit curious especially after talking about something where representation is so strongly emphasized like watchmen how is the process for you when you're researching for a show and a lot of the research you do doesn't have the representation that you as an actor bring to that role or bring to that show yeah that's a great question i mean for me, um, I think the exciting thing about that sort of research and, you know, anytime that I've researched anything is what I then get to use it for. And so I think in the researching of Footloose and in the researching of Frozen, it was very interesting to see what these see what Kevin Bacon did, you know see what Jeremy Kushner did, who was in, who was in our footloose playing Reverend Shaw, which is crazy. And then be able to say, how cool is that? But how cool is it now that I get to look at it from not, you know, of course those things also came, you know, I think footloose opened in 1998 on Broadway and the movie is from the eighties. So those were 20 years ago. And so how cool is it? Not only that I get to look, that I now get to approach it with the research of how they did it, that I now get to approach it with the vantage point of 20 years later, but also that I now get to um, approach it as a person of color. And I think for Footloose specifically, it was like, you know, Christian Borle directed it and we were, we were talking and he was like, when I was cast, when I was asked to do this show, I was like, I'm only doing it with a red of color. Because when I look at this story, a story of a kid from the inner city of Chicago that comes out to a town and everybody seems to hate him, you know, and of course he's a little rambunctious, but he doesn't do anything that like warrants everybody hating him as much as they do. My first thought was this is a black kid coming to a town that that hasn't seen a lot of people like him before. And he has to sort of fit in. And of course, Christian also made the town super diverse, which is really great. But he was like still, you know, coming from an inner city and come moving out to this town in the outskirts and all these sorts of things, especially back in the 80s, you know, it could have been absolutely read as racism, as the town being racist and as that sort of thing. And so he loved that idea. And so he sort of gave me free reign. He was like, you know, I want you to, of course, watch Kevin Bacon, see what they do. But I also want you to approach this with your eye for things, approach this with you are you know, coming into this town as a person of color, you are not coming in just as Ren, you are coming in as a person of color. And, you know, in the broader narrative of that, the, the beauty is we did the show in St. Louis, which is not, not the most forward thinking city in the world, not, not, not in any sort of bad way, but you know, when they announced that I was going to be playing Ren, there were people on their Facebook page that were like, I'm not coming to see this show and stop doing stuff like this. And no black kids should be playing this part. And, and, you know, and, all these sorts of things that that I had to read and deal with and were frustrating and exhausting. But what was so beautiful about it is Ren shows up in this town. Everybody, you know, judges him, doesn't like him. And then he wins over everyone's hearts by the end of the show. And so I think the beauty of it was getting to go into a place like St. Louis. And, you know, I know the first time that people saw me on the stage or saw me singing, people were like, that's not Ren. Like what Kevin Bacon played this part. That's not Kevin Bacon. And then over the course of the show, 
completely forgetting about that and realizing like, oh, we've fallen in love with this kid and he represents, you know, hope and fighting for things and standing up for yourself and dreaming and wanting to to succeed and fall have people fall in love with you. And so um, I think the great thing was getting to do the research and then getting to say, okay, but I'm going to do this how I want to do this. And I'm going to do this um, in a way that will help the audience grow. And it's, I mean, it's always the goal of theater empathy, right? And help them empathize, you know, and if you don't see a lot of black people seeing a full show where you fall in love with the black kid that plays the lead means that maybe the next time you're on the street and you see a black person, you know, going into an apartment complex, you won't call the police on it, you know? And it's like, it's just something that, that small of, wow, you know, they, we are all just people. And I got to, I got to be a person that was also a person of color, you know, and that's a part of my identity. And it does not mean that you need to define me entirely by that, but it also doesn't mean that you get to ignore it. And so I think that's what I love so much about preparing for these parts is, okay, great. These have been played by white guys before. So I need to be aware of that. I need to see that. And then I need to say, but they cast me and they cast me for a reason. And they cast me, of course, that's, you know, who I am, the way that I perform, how I perform. You know, I'm not going to say it's, you know, just because I was black or whatever, but, um, you know, which isn't, you know, some people say that sometimes, which is frustrating and disheartening to hear, of course, because it's like, you know, you get the part because you deserve it. And I hope if any, any people of color are listening, you got the part because you deserved it, not because you're black or you're, you're Latino or you're anything, you know, um, but you deserve the part because you're there and you are cast for you. And that means you should bring your unique perspective. And for me, being black is a part of me that I cannot remove no matter what I do. I will always be black. And therefore, that is a part of the perspective that I bring. But also the perspective that I bring is being from Arizona, you know, being raised the way that I was being mixed, you know, feeling like an outsider a lot, feeling like all these sorts of things, you know, being from middle class family, you know, all these sorts of things that shape who I am are also tied to being black as well. And so you bring all of that um, to every role that you do. And for me, I just, I guess I just don't, I guess I just take what I, what I see from what people have done before me and I do it the way that I want to do it. And it ends up, it ends up, resonating with me because I am black and that's just the perspective that I have on things. In addition to what is a long necessary racial justice movement that's going on right now, we have the kind of global elephant in the room being the pandemic. And how have your kind of the creation versus the consumption, how have those habits shifted during these past few months when quote unquote normal life as we know it in the day to day has become so different? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is at the beginning I was doing, you know, when frozen stopped, which was like March 10th, um, I flew home the next week and I was home and I spent like a week or two to just sort of decompress and, you know, doing eight shows a week for a long time is really exhausting. And then I really tried to, I really tried to create, I really did. I tried to force myself to, and I bought a tripod and, I was writing a lot and I was going on walks all the time and, and thinking of this this story that I wanted to write in this this great play or screenplay or something. And I forced myself to do it a lot and was really trying and trying. I was in a writer's group and I, you know, but I just started finding 
as it went on and on and on and you know then we're like frozen might not be back until january and it's like i just started feeling like my creative energy sort of started dissipating and it mostly just has turned to consumption of anime of tv of random youtube videos um and also just living too you know i just getting up and going to work and then teaching and then going for a run or 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 working out and then going to the store and getting something and coming back and eating dinner with the guys that i'm staying with and then going to sleep and i think um for me, there's been this really weird void of content creation and content consumption in my life. Um, just sort of spurred on by, I guess, the virus and feeling like nothing is happening and feeling stagnant. And I recently, you know, Watchmen was the first thing in a long time. And James Baldwin, too, reading. I've been reading a lot, too. That that I guess that's my content consumption has been reading. Um but it hasn't been stuff like videos or things like that because I'm so sad not to be doing it. It just breaks my heart. I think every time I would watch, you know, I didn't even, I couldn't watch the Hamilton on Disney plus cause I just be like, I just want to be performing right now and doing something, you know, that is what I do. You know, I'm doing this construction job, which is fine, but I have no skills. So I basically just get yelled at all day because I'm terrible at doing whatever I need to be doing. I'm good at carrying things and handing people tools, but I don't know what all the tools are called because I don't do, you know, it's not my job. So a lot of the time I give a tool and I get in trouble. And so I miss just doing something that I'm like uberly passionate about. And so Watchmen kind of has been inspiring me and I've been singing again and getting back into it. So I think I'm on a resurgence of creative energies, but my body definitely seemed to need a bit of time to just decompress and and do nothing with all the stresses of what's happening in the world. And, you know, like I said earlier with my Buddhist learnings, it's all about also being comfortable with change and being comfortable with the present moment. And for me, I was discovering in this present moment, I didn't feel like being creative and I also didn't really feel like watching anything. And so I had to say, that's okay. And I just kind of had had been going about my life and I know that those those passions are within me. And so I've just been waiting for them to come back and they seem to be on their way. I think everything is kind of cyclical in life I've been finding. And so um, I think my cycle is coming right about back to being interested in creating again. So we'll see. But that's sort of how I've been doing it, which is not not very much at all. And that's OK. I mean, it sounds like as far as being in a mental place where you've feel good about it i think that's something that we don't sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for just being in a good place mentally and we almost feel like the actions have to yield the mental state versus being in the mental state before yielding the actions yeah but i think that's that's good to hear that you're in a place regardless of whether you're making or consuming something that you're feeling good about the place you're in so i'm glad to hear that man yeah yeah one of the last things i love to talk to people about just because, again, it's something that everyone has different takes on. It's also something that everyone uses differently is social media. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, we talk about media and we talk about some form of consumption. It kind of stands on its own as this monolith of a thing that we all, whether it's very tangentially or whether it's like fully being a part of that environment, we all experience it in some way. And so, yeah, I would love to know, how does social media factor into your day-to-day? -day? How... 
How has that been different? How did it factor in before? It factors in very little. Um, and it actually did factor in very little before. It was kind of, um, like I mentioned earlier, I have depression and anxiety and things like that. And social media, I found, was just such a way for, oh, if I post something and it only gets this many likes, then it means that nobody likes me and it validates all of the negative thoughts that I've been having in my head. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's it's gotten better because I'm, I'm on medication now for depression, which is awesome. You should take medication if you need it. Um, because it's a chronic illness and you know anyway but when i was working on frozen and stuff like that and footloose you know it's so easy to it's a trap you you can so easily become distracted by oh i need to post it i need to do this i i oh this person well, i have to i have to be i have to get more followers i have to blah 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 and i just finally was like you know or i have to post this so that people like me or you know and finally i was like okay this is now I'm, I'm done. This is a business. So I viewed my social media purely as a business. As soon as frozen started, I was like, I'm going to post once a week and then I'm uninstalling it and I'm not looking at it. And, and then I'll install it again. I'll post uninstall it. And so I actually don't, I don't have any social media on my phone right now. And that's just sort of, I haven't posted, you know, since I think like I guess I posted one thing right after George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, just of me and all the people of color that I've done shows with just saying, like, thinking of you guys. Um, and I've maybe shared a couple stories of interviews and things like that that I've done, but I haven't posted like an actual post since whenever. And it's just because I really, I just really don't like it or I, I just really don't care to do it for me personally. I think I am so content. Um, with the way things are in my life and the way things are going and the way that I stay connected with my friends. And I personally am not super great at like, you know, responding to people's stories or doing this or sort of that. I'm, I'm pretty terrible at communication. A lot of my friends will tell you that. Um, and so social media is just, I'm like, you know what? I just don't really need it. And um, it's, it's brought me a lot of peace since I've just been like, okay, I'm either just going to treat it as a business and never look at it or, I'm just never going to have, I'm just not going to use it at all. And, um, that's just sort of, yeah, that's sort of the way that I do it. Cause I, you know, you wake up, you know, it's sometimes you wake up and if I had it on my phone, I used to open Instagram and I'd look at Instagram and just be immersed in what other people's worlds are all the time before I even immerse myself in what my own world is that day, you know? And I just found the easiest way was just to uninstall it and just not have it. And it just doesn't really, and it does it doesn't really weigh on me. I install it when I think I'm going to need to use it for something and then I install it. And the most important thing that I was using it for this summer was all those people that were doing Instagram live workout things. That's what I was using it for. But other than that, I just kind of, I just don't really enjoy it that much. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I keep myself sane too, is I, I let people know that I love them by calling them, by texting them and not by, needing to post on on a social media and i i live my life you know with full contentedness and full validation from myself is my goal always to just be from within to out and so i found social media was such an easy way for me to seek validation from outside to in and i just didn't want it like that and um even now when i post once a week you know for business things i only post if i'm like in a good mental state. And I'm like, I'm posting this <clears throat> for business and not because I need somebody to tell me, oh, you look so good. Or, 
oh, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, congratulations. You know, I'm only going to post because people want to see and want to be in touch and want to see, you know, what, what life is like. And that's great. And I get that people want that. And so that I can do, but it, it can never be from me needing something from other people. Um, and that's just sort of my benchmark for all social media, whether I, whether I post or whether I do something, it's all about sharing what I want to share and not about receiving. Those are some words of wisdom. <laughs> Cause I know that some people rightfully so. Right. And I have, I don't hold any grudges to people about this. And I, I think that it's something that's very understandable is that people who are in a field where public persona is something that can be a major factor in in a person's consideration or eligibility for professional things, right? Especially in a in a career like an acting career, where maybe visibility is something that is is a is a consideration when people are thinking about like, well, if if nobody sees me, then they won't think about me, right? Um, and I've talked to some people who that is something that they they've worried about is like they they need to be present in some way and that's completely understandable right i don't think there's any wrong way to do it but i think the point you made about having it be solely for validation from outside in can be can be detrimental in ways that it's sad to see because then it's we want to be able to tell people you are more than what everyone's reactions to your posts imply yeah absolutely but then again it's not to invalidate those people who say, I do want other people to see me and see my work, right? Yeah. And see my creativity. So it's 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 a balance, right? It's a balance. And yeah, you're completely right. It's not to say that there is a a wrong way to to do it. I've just found, yeah, for me that's that's the way that I that I have to do it. And um it's interesting. That whole, you know, I need people to see me and I need this or that and yeah, maybe maybe you do. But I, I think um for me personally, posting once if posting once a week is not enough for people to see me, then like I can't do any more than that on social media. Just because, and that's not you know I got into this career to be an actor and to do what I love and not to be worried about making a, a persona you know on online that I have to post every day or do something every day. You know I I want to let sort of the work that I do find me and let who I am define me. And, you know, if it comes to it, maybe one day, if I ever make enough money, I'll hire a social media manager and they can do all this stuff for me, you know, but like, I, you know, I, I just, I don't feel like that's a place that I want to put my energy or need to put my energy. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. <laughs> that's all I got. Uh, sounds like, sounds like you yourself are in a very balanced position right now, which is trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Hey, that's all we can do, right? That's what balance is about. You got to add a little on one side and take away something else on the other side. And Absolutely. Before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to plug? Anything? I mean, we I know we just wrapped up social media being so maybe right now, maybe following on social media. Not that that would be a bad thing necessarily. If you, if you do want to follow, I'll, I'll make sure that we put your, uh, your handle. But anything project-wise or anything like that you'd want to plug before we wrap up? No, I don't, you know, I don't really have anything going on i would say um i guess i would just plug going to uh naacp.org and educate you know anytime you can educate yourself on that educate yourself on black trans issues educate yourself on trans issues educate yourself on lgbtq plus a you know everything and watch watch the things that um 
that challenge the way that you see the world. Those are those are the things that I'll plug. Specifically, okay, I'll plug one movie that I think everybody should see. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Everybody needs to watch that movie. It is one of the best things I've ever seen. It's so- I've heard great things, man. I've heard great things. So now that you say that, I'm going to make sure that it's one of the next things I watch for sure. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's all. And uh, plugging mental health and taking care of yourself. Those are the things. Awesome. Well, seriously, Mason, thank you so much, man. Really, this was fantastic. You gave me a lot to think about, man. So I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you for the great questions and for having me. It's been a joy. Mason let me know at the end of our conversation, right, at, right after we finished recording, that he's actually considering traveling to Greece with a friend in the near future, which, which I both hope he gets to do, and which also makes me very jealous. As always, thank you all for listening. If you'd like to send feedback, again, you can always send that uh, from our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can also email us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. Follow us on social media if you'd like to, which is at creativeconsumptionpodcast or on Twitter, underscore createconsume. Also, just a plug for Creative Cat Wednesdays, which is also can just be Creative Pet Wednesdays. If you want to, we'd love to be able to start featuring photos um, from you, from our listeners, because we've been putting up these posts on Wednesdays that have our cats. Uh, so yeah, send us some of your pet photos. You can always send those, again, to feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. Again, another plug for the links in the show notes. You can find those links to the NAACP website, as well as that campaign that I mentioned in the middle of the show. Um, It also mentions Watchmen, which is something Mason brought up, uh, which I also highly recommend as something that is really both a source of entertainment, but also incredibly thought-provoking and something I, I know I took a lot away from. And also, please, if you guys have recommendations that you would like to see included in the in the show notes, let us know, especially if you've been finding resources for learning more about arts equity or about anti-racism with all these issues. Um, we would love to be able to feature those as well and keep growing that and expanding that and offering more resources for people to learn more. And finally, a thank you to Nathan, the incredible person who's behind all of those posts that I just mentioned and also pretty great brother. We'll have another episode next Monday, so thank you guys for listening to this one. I hope you check next week's out, uh, and as always, stay safe and be well. Be well.